0: Well, amen. Well, this morning we're continuing walking through our Vision 2020 sermon series. And just by way of review, if you're visiting with us, let me kind of catch you up to speed. Um, so far, we've looked at Paul's prayer for his church. Specifically, we looked at the prayer that he prayed over the church in Ephesus. He prayed for strength, he prayed for power, he prayed for the Holy Spirit's indwelling, he prayed for roots for love, for comprehension, and he prayed for the fullness of God within their lives. And I want you to know, this week, I prayed for those very things over us as a faith family. We also looked at the mission of the church. The mission given to us by the Lord Jesus Christ is a a mission given to the universal church. And that is that we are to go into all the world and make disciples. We aren't called to go to one part of the world. We're called to go into all the world. We don't reach some people. We don't reach just people that look like us or talk like us, but God's Word made it abundantly clear that we go to all people in all nations. Last week, we looked at the vision of the church, and this is what our vision is as a faith family here at Friendship Baptist Church. So say this with me this morning, okay? We exist to glorify God, by becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, now this morning we are going to begin looking at what we value as a church, and so this is something that we that we look at about um, once a year, once every year and a half, and so some of the things that we're going to look at this morning are going to be by way of reminder. But I pray that we realize this morning, as when we walk out of here, that 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 the word is important to us. Fellowship one another, with one another is important to us, and we see these core values. Um, our core values come out of. Acts chapter 2. So turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 41 through 47 together, and this is where we're going to kind of camp out over the next few weeks together. Um, But Acts chapter 2, verses 41 through 47. Beginning in verse 41, we read these words. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. What we see this morning is a picture of the church at her very best. Now, the first church certainly was not a perfect church. But in the early days, we get as close of a glimpse of a perfect church as there has ever been. That first church was a growing church, it was a going church, and it was a glowing church. Now, uh, when I think about the the church, um, that first church, and even, um, you know, most church starts. Most go through what we call a honeymoon period right? Think back to if you're married in this room or have been married, think back to your honeymoon, okay? Um, and I'm not talking about just that week that you spent together after you got married, but I want us to go a little bit further than that. Think about to those first few months of marriage, okay? Think back to that time when um, when you overlooked one another's imperfections and idiosyncrasies. Um, And there's going to be a theme here, and you'll catch this, but you did not get mad at him for leaving his clothes on the floor. You did not get mad at him for leaving the lid off of the toothpaste. You did not get mad at him for leaving the lid up on the toilet. You didn't get mad at him for those little things. You didn't even get mad at him for controlling the remote. Sports, no problem. You want to go out with your buddies? Have fun. Trash? Oh, he'll get to that. Okay? You remember those good old days? Then one day, it was like a veil was removed. And all of a sudden, your once perfect marriage that was effortless, that required little work, actually required some work, right? You woke up one morning to the reality that you committed to spend the rest of your life with that creature, I mean that human being, that slept next to you in that bed. There was a time when, when, when your marriage, man, it was, just, it was just rosy. But then once things began to kind of flesh out a little bit and you got to know each other a little bit, you realize that you're not perfect. Well, here's the reality. Church isn't perfect either. We're a bunch of imperfect people that come together week in and week out to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords with one another. We are not a perfect church or a perfect people, but we are a group of baptized believers that have been set apart by God unto salvation and commissioned by God to go into all the world. That first church, here's what set it apart. It was spirit-filled. The church is nothing without the power of God in it. The power of God came down on the day of Pentecost and filled the people of God. Those Spirit-filled believers would go and change the world. And that same Spirit that indwelled that first church and that first group of people is the same Spirit that indwells within us this morning. And all of us in this room have the ability to change the world. Have the ability to change one another and change our known world as well as the greater world. Notice our first point this morning. It is this. They received the word. In verse 41 we read, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The early church heard the gospel preached and they responded to the gospel message. There was a day when every one of us in this room that are believers also heard the word and received the word and responded to the word. Am I right? Think back to that moment for you. Think back to the moment of your salvation, okay? Um, you know, there's some things in our lives where we can just kind of reflect back on. And you can kind of remember where you're at. You can remember, remember maybe a certain smell or something like that. You know, our, our salvation experience should be one of those special moments. Am I right? Think back to the moment of your salvation, okay? First of all, think, um, where were you? Where were you the day that you, you surrendered your life over to Jesus Christ? You know, I was in Plano, Texas at Northside Baptist Church on on Easter Sunday. How old were you whenever you committed your life to Jesus? For me, I was 11. How old were you? What did you do? You know, I did what most of you probably did. I walked an aisle and I talked to the pastor and I gave my life over to Jesus that day. How did your life change after you became a Christian? You became a new creation, didn't you? How has your life been changed as a result of being a Christ follower? How is your life different today than it was before you gave your life over to Jesus Christ? A life that has received the Word of God is a life that has been changed by the Spirit of God. When those that made up that early church received the Word, Scripture tells us that they were baptized. In fact, some 3,000 people were baptized on that first day. Baptism does not save us, but understand baptism is the outward sign of what Christ has done in our life. When I had the opportunity to baptize um, men and women and students and children and that baptismal um, up there, one of the things that I say is for we are buried with Christ in the likeness of His death so that we might rise to walk in the newness of life. What baptism is, it is a picture of what Jesus Christ has done in our life. He's literally um, given us a new life. Our old life, our sinful life, our our, 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 our our wayward life is being buried in a grave. But then we are reborn and given a new life and set on a new path. That's what baptism is a picture of. Once again, baptism does not save us, but it does give an outward expression of, of our walk with Jesus Christ. Not long ago, I received an email um, from, from someone asking me to baptize their, one of their family members in their home in their bathtub. And, and I thought about that for, for a moment before I responded to that email, and, and I communicated with this person that um, the issue that I have is that baptism isn't something in Scripture that we see people do in private, is it? It's something that we see that is done before others. It is a Outward demonstration of what Christ has done in lives. One of the one of the things that I say to to individuals before I baptize them on on a um, on a Sunday morning is today may be one of the. Opportunities that you have to proclaim Jesus to someone that doesn't know Jesus this morning. I'm like, how cool would it be if someone gets saved today because of your testimony that you're demonstrating in these waters? And, and baptism isn't something that we do in secret, it's not something that we do in private. It should be something that we do and celebrate together with one another and as a faith family. Our Baptism, once again, is a visual picture of what Christ has done in our lives. Has saved men, women, and students. Why would we want that to be private? Notice how quickly Jesus references baptism whenever he calls us to go. He says, go into all the world and preach the gospel, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We go to baptize. We go to reach people with the gospel. We go and then are entrusted with those that have received Christ with, the, with, with um, discipling them. Two things about baptism. First of all, baptism does not save you. Placing your faith in Jesus Christ is what saves you. Repenting of your sins and crying out to Jesus to be Lord and Savior of your life, that is what saves you. Baptism does not Also understand this, just because a person is baptized, that does not mean that they are a Christian. I've known many people over my years of ministry that have gotten their baptism and their salvation mixed up. They got baptized before they became a Christ Follower. Some of you in this room this morning may be in that place. You were baptized in an, as an infant or you were baptized at an early age, but you did not actually become a Christ follower until you were in your teens, maybe your 20s, maybe your 30s, maybe your 40s, maybe your 50s, maybe your 60s, maybe your 70s, maybe your 80s. I don't know when it was that you may have become a Christ follower, but, but what you have done is, is you got your baptism on the wrong side of your salvation. And so that is something that should be righted. That's something that you should, should work to get on the right side of your salvation. And once again, give a testimony of what Christ has done in your life. The next thing that we see here is after these men and women were baptized, we see that they were added to the church. 3,000 people were added to that first church. How cool would that have been to witness can you imagine that? Can you imagine having been a part of that crowd that day that that trusted Jesus as their Savior? Many of you in this room have had the opportunity over your years to go to a crusade, um, maybe a Billy Graham crusade or something uh, of that nature. But I'll never forget the first Billy Graham crusade that I ever went to. It was at the, the old... Um, Dallas Cowboys Stadium and Irving. And I, I remember that day. It was, a, it was a day of celebration. It was a day of worship. It was a day of fellowship. It was a day when, when I heard the gospel preached cl- probably more clearly than I ever had. It was just a dynamic day. Now, I remember at the end of that service, um, Billy Graham invited people to respond to the gospel message. And that day, all across that stadium, people got up out of their seats and they made their way down onto that football field. And that entire football field almost was filled with men and women and students and children giving their lives over to Jesus Christ. It was, it was an amazing thing to see. But, but the thing that separates this first, let's call it altar call, from any other altar call in history, is that this was the first of its kind. Three thousand people on that day made a public profession of their faith to Jesus Christ. They they renounced um, their old way of life, their traditions. And all of that in order to become a Christ follower. And you know what will eventually happen with that first church. That first church is going to experience great persecution because they, they gave their life over to Jesus Christ and they were going to be scattered into the known world. Know this about the first church. Their foundation was the Word of God. Our first core value as a church is the Word of God. And notice the second point this morning it is this. They were devoted to the Word. In verse 42 we read, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. What does this tell us about those within that first church? It tells us that they were committed learners. The early church was a learning church. The Lord designed His church to be a place where His Word is proclaimed and where His Word is explained. And you and I have been given these words to train us up, to prepare us, to empower us to go out of this place to be instruments of Christ to change the world. 2 Timothy 2, 1-2, Paul wrote these words. He said, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others Also, God's word is a trust, isn't it? It's like a treasure that has been given to us. It, It is a special gift that has been given to us that we have been entrusted with. And understand this, it's not something that we're to keep to ourselves, is it? We are to share it with other people. We are to take that trust and share it with one another. Peter wrote these words in First Peter 2.2. 2, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Why did God give us his word? So that we can grow up in it. We, we got we to gotta get beyond the spiritual milk part of God's word, don't we? we got to get to the point eventually in our lives where we're, where we're not being, being given milk, but we're given solid food, and we digest God's Word in us. And we take that which we've digested, and we share it with one another. We're to read this, study this, so that we can grow up in salvation. Notice 3 subpoints here. First of all, the Word affects our minds. The word affects our minds. In Romans 12, 1 through 2, we read these words. I appeal to you, brothers, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good and acceptable and perfect and, and perfect." The Word of God absolutely affects our minds, doesn't it? Think about what happens when you get the Word of God into your mind. I don't know about you, but I have a little bit of a problem. Some of you are like, you got more than one problem. Um, but, but my mind does not always mind. Can you relate to that? Does your mind always mind? Does your mind always do what you want your mind to do? You know, I, I, I have to admit, there's times when I'm praying or when I'm reading God's Word and my mind has a tendency to kind of wander off into Never Never Land, okay? I have kind of like my daughter does that moment um, when I'm reading God's Word and then all of a sudden it's squirrel. And I'm like over here in some odd place because my mind doesn't always mind. Well, how do we get our mind to mind? We bring it under control, right? That's what we've been called to do bring it under control. You know, I want my mind to be yielded over to the Lord 24 7. But the truth is, it's not. You know, Paul. Also struggled with this. Man, he wanted his mind to be yielded over to the Lord 24 7 as well. In fact, Paul um, wrote these words to his listeners and his readers. In 2 Corinthians 10 5, we read, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. What Paul is saying here hey, take captive every thought that you have, give it over. To Christ. Well, that's what Paul wanted for himself and for his readers and his listeners. But, but notice Paul's struggle. In Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 20, we read these words, "...for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good." All of us can relate to this real struggle that Paul had, right? That struggle of the mind not minding what you want it to do. You know, as, as I was preparing um, for this morning's message, um, I came across um, an article that, that, that um, Rick Warren had written on some suggestions or principles for bringing our mind under control and these are just four little principles that he had nothing new um, nothing unique real simple but the first saying that he wrote was don't believe everything you think don't believe everything you think how often do we allow our our thinking to get us in trouble because we do what we think we shouldn't believe everything that we think. The world puts suggestions in our minds that are false, and we are bombarded with those false ideas all the time. And, of course, Satan makes suggestions every single day, doesn't he? Tries to persuade us and get us off of the path. The Bible uses at least a dozen different phrases for the condition of our minds when our minds are under sin. The Bible talks about how our we become confused. Our minds become anxious or closed. They become evil or restless. They Sin causes us to do rash things and, and, and deluded things. The Bible also talks about how our mind is troubled. There's a depraved mind, a sinful mind, a dull mind, a blinded mind, a corrupt mind. Sin has a tendency to kind of mess us up, doesn't it? And as believers, we're not immune to that. That's why we have to take every thought captive and bring it under control. Another sub-point is guard our minds from garbage. You know the old saying, garbage in, garbage out, trash in, trash out. You listen to unwholesome things, there's a chance that unwholesome things are going to come out of your mouth. You view explicit material, then explicit actions could result. So garbage in garbage out. We need to also never stop learning. We should be continual learners, especially when it comes to being learners of God's Word. 2 Peter 3.18, we looked at this last week, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are to grow in our relationship with the Lord. Never stop learning. Never stop learning what God's Word has to say. God has given us Many, many great minds over the course of human history that we can also read from and study from and, 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 and gain truth from. Also, let God stretch your imagination. God is a giver, and He bursts within our hearts dreams and visions. A few verses up from our focal passage this morning in Acts chapter 2, we see um, Peter... As he's standing and preaching before the people. And Peter said these words It says, But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. What dream has God birthed into your heart? What vision? Has God given you to act upon? And some of you have responded to the dreams and visions. Some of you may still be sitting on those dreams and visions and have yet to be obedient to them to begin putting into action what God has birthed in your heart to do. Notice what happens after Peter preached on the day of Pentecost the word changed the hearts of the people. The word changes our hearts. In Acts 2, 37, we read, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? You know what God's word does? God's word cuts to the heart, doesn't it? Being cut to the heart is a good way of saying that lives were convicted by the Holy Spirit. What drove you on the day of your salvation to surrender your life over to Jesus Christ? And what it was, it was a conviction of the Holy Spirit. It was God's Word cutting deep into your heart. Heart. The Holy Spirit convicted you and revealed to you that your sin separated you from God. In Hebrews four twelve, we get a picture of what God's word does in our lives. It says, "For the word of God, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and a marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart." One writer said, "God's word diagnoses the condition of a man's heart." With a surgeon's precision. It lays open our hearts and discerns our spiritual health. What a great deci- description of God's Word. When we read it, when we study it, it has the ability to cut deep within our hearts and reveals to us anything that we have yet to yield to Jesus. But when we share God's Word with other people, the exact same thing happens. That Word cuts open individuals' hearts and leads them to respond to the Word of God because they're under conviction of the Holy Spirit. Notice our next subpoint here. It is this, the Word motivates our actions. God's Word not only calls us to repentance and salvation, but God's Word also calls us to action. One of the most powerful ways to discover what God thinks and how God feels is by joining Him where He is at work. Where do you see God at work today? Where in your daily life are you like, God, you're at work here? And I want to join you in that work. Hopefully, one place is in our homes. But hopefully, if we look enough and pray enough, we also see God at work in other areas. Maybe it's at work. You see, there's a a group of men, if you're a man, a group of women, if you're a woman, that you can get with and begin to strengthen it. Scripture says iron sharpens iron. Where is God at work? Where is God inviting you to join Him? You know, as as believers, when we think about getting the Word in us and, 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 and sharing the Word, how do we do that? Well, we study God's Word. We need to be people of prayer. But we receive the Word and we discover the Word and then we share the word. Notice our, our third and final point. It's this, they were united by the word. And this leads us to our second core value, fellowship. Fellowship is important to us. Fellowship that happens in this room, fellowship that happens in small groups, fellowship that happens at Bible studies, and, and just as we do life with one another, even outside of the doors of this church. But they were united by the word. In verse 42, again, we see, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. We are able to fellowship together as believers because we have been made one by the blood of of Jesus, The blood of Jesus unites us to him, and his blood unites us with one another. In Colossians chapter 1, verses 19 through 22, we read these words. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We come together as a faith family to be strengthened and to, be stre- and to strengthen one another. And we've been made one by the blood of Jesus. Remember, iron sharpens irons. As believers, we are brought together as a family. As well. We are brought together as a family. I don't know about you, but um, my family has a tendency to be a little messy at times, okay? Um, My immediate family can be a little messy, Um, my extended family can be a little messy. Um, I know we've talked about this before, but my family is no different than your family. All of us have a little dysfunction in us, right? And that is true of this church right here. There is not a single perfect person in this room. Clark, I know you think you are, but you're not, okay? Um, There is not a single perfect person in this room. We're all imperfect people. But we have been made one by the blood of Jesus. If we placed our faith in Him, we have been forgiven. Here's what I love about God's Word. And this is something that, that, that... we have, a, we have a tendency to be reminded of, um, but I want to do this again this morning. But all throughout the Bible, we have these one another commands to remind us that we do life with one another. Life in this room and life outside of this room. But we see here in John five sixteen, we are to pray for one another. We need to pray specifically for one another. If you know someone that's hurting, pray for them. Well, I I forget to pray. Well, make prayer a habit of yours, and you won't forget as much. You know, I forget sometimes to pray. Why is that? Because it's not a regular habit at times. Pray for one another. Hebrews 3.13, exhort one another or encourage one another. Man, when's the last time you just encouraged someone in this church and said, hey, man, thank you for what you do. I appreciate you. In Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens. When one hurts, we all should should hurt with them. 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, build each other up. 1 Timothy 5.20 says, correct one another. And that's important. When we see that one of us is, is failing as a believer because of our sinfulness, we need to correct one another. We need to, just like when my kids mess up, they hear from me because they messed up. When one of us messes up, we need to go to one another and correct one another in love, okay? Now, this isn't something that we are called to do on day one before the entire church, but it is something that we do in private with one another. Why? Because their holiness should be important to us. Their relationship with the Lord should be important to us. Also, um, in James five sixteen, we're to confess our sins to one another. John 13, we are to love one another. In Galatians 5.13, we are to serve one another. In Ephesians 5.21, we are to submit to one another. We submit to God. We submit to our government. We submit to our elders. We submit wives and husbands, husbands and wives, children to parents. We submit to one another. In Hebrews 10.24, we stir one another up, not to anger, but to love and good works. And in 1 Peter 4.9, we are to show hospitality to one another. And my least favorite of the one another's is show, unless it's my wife, it's uh, Romans 16, that we are to greet one another with a holy kiss. Okay, that is not a discipline we're going to practice in this church, all right? Um, Regardless of your background, um, you know, I I think I've shared this before, but I'll never forget on a mission trip to Russia one time, there was, um, it's, it's, it's just the way they do it over there, but, but men greet one another with a kiss. I don't do that. Okay, and I'll never forget being at this one church and they're being Vladimir. Okay, I think everybody's named Vladimir over, over in, in, in Russia, kind of like everybody here is named Bill, it seems like. Um, but, but Vladimir, man, he tried to, I, when I saw him walk in one door, I would walk out the other door. Because I just was not going to allow him to greet me with a holy kiss. Now, does that mean that I was being unbiblical? Probably. I will be judged for that one day. But um, there it is in Scripture, greet one another with a holy kiss. You know, we as a faith family do life with one another, don't we? We encourage one another, we strengthen one another, we hurt with one another and hurt for one another. But most important, we do life with one another so that we can sharpen one another. And, and then we've already looked at this this morning, but, but we also gather around the table with one another. Like this morning we had the opportunity to partake of the Lord's Supper together where we remember what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, where he, his body was broken for us. And, and we ate that piece of bread as a reminder of his broken body. And then we took that cup and we drank that cup as a reminder of the life blood that Jesus shed for us. So we gather around the table and we're supposed to do that regularly. Okay, but, but this scripture is also, as, as we continue to walk through Acts chapter 2, um, they gathered around this table, but they also gathered around one another's table and broke bread together in fellowship with one another and, and encouraged one another and strengthened one another as well. That first church regularly came together to observe the Lord's Supper and eat together and fellowship together. They grew together. They were not perfect, just like we are not perfect. But that first church was pretty close to perfect. But we'll see just a few pages over from Acts chapter 2 that, that there were some problems within that church. And then we turn a few pages from there and we see lots of problems within that, that early church. Okay? How, how were those problems fixed? God's Word helped to fix it. God's Word got into the hearts of the people and they began to respond to God's Word. How does our lives get changed. It's changed by God's Word, right? How do those that we do life with get changed? It changed by God's Word. You know, I came across this um, little um, poem, but it's called Ten Little Christians. Okay? And I want you to just think about the greater church, our church, um, and, and as, as I read through this. But it says, Ten little Christians came to church all the time. One fell out with the preacher, then there were nine. Nine little Christians stayed up late, one overslept on Sunday, then there were eight. Eight little Christians on their way to heaven, one took the low road, then there were seven. Seven little Christians chirping like chicks, one didn't like the singing, then there were six. Six little Christians seemed very much alive, one took a vacation, then there were five. Five little Christians pulling for heaven's shore, one stopped to take a rest, then there were four. Four little Christians, each as busy as a bee. One had his feelings hurt, then there were three. Three little Christians couldn't decide what to do. One couldn't have his way, then there were two. Two little Christians, each one one more. Now don't you see? Two plus two equals four. Four little Christians worked early and late. Each brought one, now there were eight. Eight little Christians, if they doubled as before, in just seven Sundays, we have 1,024. In this jingle, there is a lesson true. You belong either to the building or to the wrecking crew. I don't know about you, but I want to be a part of the wrecking crew, don't you? Part of the wrecking crew that's changing the lives of other people. D.L. Moody once said. The world has yet to see what a man or woman totally devoted to Christ can do. I think there's been a lot of people that have been totally devoted to Christ, and we've seen the result of that. But what we need today is we need more men and women and students and children that are going to rise up to be a wrecking crew, that are going to rise up totally devoted to Christ. What does a totally devoted follower of Christ look like? Well, they receive the word on the day of their salvation. They grow up devoted to the word. They live out the word. And they let the word unite them with one another. You know, this morning, as we enter into this time of invitation, you know, I don't know what decision you might need to make today. You may be here this morning and you have yet to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You haven't repented of your sins and cried out to Jesus to to forgive you of those sins and to be the Lord and Savior of your life. And this today may need to be that day, that you, or it is the day that you need to make the greatest decision that you could ever make, and that is to give your life over to Jesus Christ. You may be here this morning and and there was something that that... God's Word has spoke to you this morning, and you realize that, hey, maybe my um, baptism is on the wrong side of my salvation, and maybe I got um, saved um, later in life, but yet I was baptized earlier in life. Well, let me just encourage you, get that on the right side of your salvation. You know, you may be, well, well, I don't want to do that. Man, I accepted Christ when I was nine years. Well, I I was baptized when I was nine years old, but I really didn't accept Christ until I was 27 years old. So if I I get baptized again, then everybody's going to look at me and think negatively about me. No, they're not. We're going to celebrate with you because of the public profession of faith that you are making before everyone that is in this room on the day that you were baptized. We're going to celebrate with that. So if you need to get your your baptism on the right side of your salvation, then, then, hey, let me help you do that. Let us help you do that as a faith family. I don't know what decision you need to make, but this morning as we enter into a time of invitation, I want to invite you to, to respond to the Lord. Let's stand together. I'm going to lead us in a time of prayer. And if there's a decision you need to make, you come. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this morning. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, thank you that, that, that as a faith family, we consider the word to be vital. One of, the, one of the most important aspects of our fellowship is your word. Your word needs to be the foundation by which everything else is built from. And so, Father, help us to value the word above all else. Father, thank you for being able to do life with one another and to fellowship with one another, to encourage one another, to strengthen one another, to help one another. Thank you for that privilege, Lord. Father, this morning, as we enter into this time of invitation, if there's someone that has yet to to repent of their sins and cry out to you to be Lord and Savior of their life, I pray that today they'll make the greatest decision that they could ever make. Father, there may be some here this morning that, that realize, hey, my baptism is on the wrong side of my salvation, and as an act of obedience, I want to get that right. Father, I don't know how you're going to move during this time of invitation, but I pray that you will. Father, stir within us all. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.